Hello everyone, this is Matt Ferret, author of the Prepare for Medicare book series, and welcome to another episode of The Matt Ferret Show, where I interview insiders and experts to help light a path to a successful retirement. Hello everyone, this is Matt Ferret, and welcome to another episode of The Matt Ferret Show, where I interview insiders and experts to help light a path to a successful retirement. Come say hello at thematfarradshow.com for show links, notes, websites referenced, quotable quotes, and the complete show transcript. You can also check out prepareformedicare.com and my new site prepareforsocialsecurity.com. Both support the books Prepare for Medicare, The Insider's Guide to Buying Medicare Insurance, and Prepare for Social Security, The Insider's Guide to Maximizing Your Retirement Benefits. Each website has a spot where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter. I cover Medicare, Social Security, plus wealth, wisdom, and wellness topics in or nearing retirement. Did you know more than half of U.S. adults don't have a will? According to my guest on this episode of The Matt Ferret Show, there are a whole host of reasons every adult over the age of 18 should have one. Wills are just one piece of estate planning, and according to a recent survey by a senior living referral service, over 67% of people don't have an estate plan. Think you need millions in assets to have an estate plan? That's simply not the case, and for a lot of reasons, most of which you probably haven't even heard or thought about. Bill Ellsworth is an estate planning lawyer who has spent years creating comprehensive estate plans for a wide range of incomes and ages. We also spent a lot of time talking about sensitive topics like end-of-life considerations, as well as advice around complex family dynamics that often emerge when a loved one dies. This episode of The Matt Ferret Show will give you an insider's guide to all the aspects and considerations of estate planning, including healthcare power of attorneys, ages and stages where certain parts of estate planning make more sense, and when they don't, wills, trusts, and a whole lot more. Enjoy. Bill, welcome to the show. All right. Thank you, Matt. So tell everybody what you do, how long you've been doing it, and how you help people. Yeah. So I've been an estate planning attorney since um, 2007. Uh, and, uh, an attorney, I guess, since 2007, and I've consistently kind of whittled my practice into the estate planning field. Uh, so I've started, um, uh, my practice, I started doing estate planning with probate, with, uh, general corporate work, um, and a lot of tax planning as well. And then um, I kind of began representing a lot of closely held business owners and really doing business succession planning along with estate planning. And um, that's kind of what I do right now is continue to do just estate planning primarily um, with uh, closely held business owners, with, you know, people across the financial spectrum as well, though. So from young families starting out that want uh, simple wills to really high net worth individuals. Yeah. So define that for me. So estate planning is a, is a phrase or a term. What does that mean? Wills, wills and trusts, anything else? Yeah. So as far as the tools of estate planning, we're talking about documents and, and documents that you're leaving um, to individuals you're putting in places uh, with authority um, to act on your behalf. So we're talking about wills, trusts, powers of attorney, uh, you know, business succession planning documents, all, uh, premarital agreements, all of these fall within the realm of uh, the general term estate planning. Okay, thank you. So do you mind if I take them one by one? Yeah, perfect. Let's talk about wills first. No one really likes to, you know, think about their eventual demise. And, uh, you know, the uh, 22-year-old marathon runner may not be thinking about, uh, you know, his or her impending death as much as say an 85 year old uh, might be Um, talk about wills. I mean, there are all sorts of stats all over the internet, anywhere between 45% of the people say they have a will 65% of the people say they have a will, but not a trust or an estate plan. What wills in very Mm -hmm. simplistic terms, why do you need one? And when should you start thinking about it? And when do you absolutely have to have one in your estimation? Yeah, so a will deals with uh, two important functions primarily. One is disposition of assets after death, and then the secondary piece is uh, guardianship for uh, for minors that you might leave behind. 
Um, so, you know, if you don't have a will, what happens is you're, you still have an estate plan. It's just the estate plan that's um, given to you by your state of residence. So every state in, uh, in the United States has uh, a probate code. And the probate code is going to say if if you pass away and you have an asset in, that's subject to probate, where that asset would go to. Uh, and it's pretty typical for the state to set that law at if you've got a surviving spouse, it could go to the surviving spouse. If you've got uh, children, it could you know get split up 50-50 between spouse and children. Um, and, and from there it goes to more remote descendants. So the first object of just putting a will in place is to make sure that your estate plan is reflective of what you want to do, as opposed to what the state statute might say. Um, a will is a, is a public document, meaning it, it gets filed with the court after death. Um, so every will, once, once you've got one, uh, is eventually get going to get filed in court. It's eventually going to become a public record. Um, so, you, you you know, what you're putting into the will is going to be uh, it, exactly what what you want to have happen. Um, and and, you know, for for that reason, um, since it is public record, a lot of times what a more extensive estate plan is going to do is is set set up a revocable trust as well, because that's a, that's a private document, but I'm getting beyond the question. So I'll well, stop we'll there. Revocable trusts here in a minute, but before yeah. wills, when do, when does someone have to start thinking about this? Is this when they actually have an asset? I mean, are we talking like a car or are we talking more substantial than that? And is there an age or a stage that's, in, that's more important to think about? Yeah. So it's important to recognize that what, a, what a will actually covers. And, and so a will, like I said, it gets filed with the probate court. Uh, it, it covers probate assets, and a, and a probate asset is an asset that is um, uh, held by a person individually and does not have a beneficiary designation. So if I had a bank account and it was just titled to me individually, I didn't have any designation assigned to it, whether it be a, a transfer on death, TOD, or any beneficiary, at my passing uh, now I'm not around anymore. That's part of my estate. That's a, that's a probate asset. A will would govern that asset as opposed to other assets that are governed outside of a will, such as um, uh, accounts with beneficiary designations. So typical accounts with beneficiary designations would be life insurance, uh, retirement accounts. Um, so absent a beneficiary designation on those accounts, th those would also be probate assets. Um, also, there's ways of titling assets that are going to, uh, the law is going to govern where those assets go, like joint tenancy with rights of survivorship. So a lot of times you'll see married couples hold joint accounts. In that, in that event, that's not a probate asset either. At death of the first spouse, those assets automatically transfer to the survivor by operation of, of law. So again, not governed by the will. Um, so a will uh, governs really these very specific assets that you're you're just holding individually. They're not they're not subject to any contract, meaning a beneficiary designation. They're not subject to operation of law by joint tenancy. Um, and and now the will is telling telling the executor where these assets are going. And to the age and stage question: Is that a financial number? Is it an age? Is it do you have to have kids? Yeah. So. Um, it, 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 I think it's a dependent on the assets, right? So, um, and, and also probably an age, right? So it's kind of a little bit of both in that, in that case. Um, it, 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 if you have assets and, and you know that you want them to go to specific persons, um, maybe you're doing that through a beneficiary, beneficiary designation. If that's not, um, an option, then a, a will is, you know, the the first step in, in figuring out exactly uh, how you're going to get them to the people you want to get them to. Um, so is it something that everyone over the age of 18 should have a will? Not necessarily. Um, is it something that everyone that's, uh, that's married and has children should have a will? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I think, you know, one of the first steps in having a will is often is often that uh, family dynamic when you're having children. Um, 
those persons definitely need a will because of that second function I mentioned with with respect to guardianship. Um, the, you know, so it it it's asset dependent. If you can take care of your estate without having a will through beneficiary designations, I, I suppose you can get away with it. But I think it's always a good a good planning and and definitely recommended that any adult should have a will um, it, it, because you, you, it, it's it's necessary for planning to, to have that comprehensive plan and make sure that the assets get to where you want. You should really think about where where you want them to go and put that in place in, in writing in a document that's that's official, that's witnessed and notarized with the authority of a will. Thank you. So let's go back to the two phrases that you already brought one, the other one up, but you know, will will and trust, those things get mashed together all the time. So you mentioned if you have a will and you have, uh, um, uh, there's a trust that goes along with it most times, sometimes, why is it important to marry the two? Yeah. So a will and a trust work together and uh, they're, they're different in, in a number of respects, but um uh, one of the most prominent respects is that uh, a will gets filed with the court and is public record, whereas a trust is is by nature a private document, and and the only persons that have the right to see that trust document are your beneficiaries. So uh, a trust, number one, it makes administration of an estate a, a lot easier because it can um, can eliminate that court process, that probate. Um, uh, court process where an executor has to go to court to get authority from the judge to to begin to act. Um, so it em eliminates that step and, and your successor trustee can step right in and do what the trust says right away. Uh, the other thing a trust can do um, better than a will, I would say, is, is, is tax planning. Um, so a revocable trust is, is going to have the tax terms uh, to deal with estate taxes and income taxes um that a will might m might you know simple wills tend to just say okay these assets are going to this person or that person they're not necessarily setting up trusts within that will document um whereas a trust can divide an estate into many different sub trusts and and deal with um uh how those sub trusts are funded in accordance with the uh, estate tax exemptions um the is other that, thing is is that a yeah. big, sorry to interrupt you. Is that a big thing? Cause I, again, I have a very, very short or small amount of knowledge around this stuff, which is why I asked the question, you know, you hear wills and trusts and then taxes is really a large part of this, you know, the tax treatment. If you go through probate, is there a different, different, you know, if you only have a will and go th or don't have a will, sorry, go through probate, are there taxes the state's going to take taxes the feds are going to take that can be at least mitigated or bucketed by a trust yeah so um right now the uh the federal estate taxes is, is there's an exemption amount and it's the highest exemption that there's ever been um it's it's tied to the trump tax cuts so it's a uh, 12.92 million dollar exemption per person in 2023 um so obviously that affects very few people um, the Trump tax cuts expire at the end of 25, January 1st, 2026 rolls around. If there's no changes in the law prior to then, then we we're going to have a $6 million exemption uh, indexed for inflation. Um, so we'll rope in a few more people, but still very historically high uh, as far as um, who, that, who that tax would touch. So you have a, a couple would need 12, 12 million in assets or more to be subject to that 40% federal estate tax rate. Um, so the, the, the answer to your question is the a will and the trust don't um, uh, necessarily avoid the tax. What a trust can do better than a will is, is the tax planning, meaning that there are certain states where we wanna keep um, uh, each couple, uh, each person in the married couple, their, their estate separate. Um, and be able to utilize both exemptions. And Illinois is one of those states. There's there's certain other states that are like that. So a trust, one of the things a trust can do is keep each person in the couple's um, estates in their separate lanes and create these separate sub-trusts for the survivor of the two 
where those assets are for the survivor's benefit, but not part of the survivor's taxable estate um, for tax purposes. Um, so when we're talking about estate planning and taxes, we, we have to deal with the estate tax, but we also have to deal with income taxes as well. Um, and with income taxes, you for non-qualified assets, non-retirement assets, you get a step up in, in tax basis at date of death. Um, and so depending on what the objectives for the estate are, we can try to maximize that income tax step up in basis as well. Um, uh, so when, to, to take a step back, I guess when, when you talk about the overall objectives of estate planning and why these tools are important, why wills and trusts are important, um, what we're really trying to do is create efficiencies. Number one, keep you out of court. Um, we're trying to do the tax planning, number two. We're, the, the other objective is to get assets to, to the persons you want to get them to in the manner you want to get them to them. So with, with the control required. So um, there's a difference between saying, here's, you know, here's your inheritance, you know, off you go, do whatever you want with it versus, you know, here's, here's your inheritance. It's in trust for your benefit. We've got this um, professional or we've got this person that's uh, also available to help you manage these assets. Um, and, um, you know, and, and at a certain point, maybe we trust you to take care of this inheritance yourself, but maybe you're not ready to do so just yet. So uh, I think those are really the uh, the primary objectives of any estate plan. So to wrap up wills and trusts, um, is this, before we move into broader estate planning, is, is wills and trusts are kind of a bucket underneath that umbrella. Mm -hmm. is, is, is a will and trust a DIY kind of thing? Uh, I mean, there are all sorts of online providers, you know, fill this out, hit enter and not a legally binding document, but you know, you've got a will and trust. Is this something that people should tackle on their own or is it really something they should trust a professional with or are there different levels for different needs? Yeah. Well, as with most things, I think there's different levels for different needs. Is it a DIY thing? Uh, I would recommend that it not be for most people. Uh, there's too many mistakes that can be made. There's too much legalese that's built into even the, uh, like the legal zoom type documents that, um, unless you are in the field and, you know, understanding the nature, you might be making mistakes that are, that are unintentional. And so, you know, there's been cases throughout the years that have, um, uh, proven this fact that, you know, maybe the, uh, the beneficiaries aren't the uh, the people that uh, that the principal intended to benefit. You know, there's always these contingencies that you're going to get built into the plan um, that may be may not be thought through by a professional. So, um, like with most things, um, you know, whether you're dealing with your car or your lawn, you might be better served to uh, to find a professional that can help out um, and get you in the right spot. Thanks. And uh, one last question about wills and trusts. You, you mentioned Illinois. Are there states across the country that uh, it's more important or not as important to have a will and trust combined together, given what you know about different state laws and processes? Yeah. So certain state, yeah. So certain states, it's definitely uh, probate is, is much more of an expensive endeavor than other states. Um, and there, you know, the reasons for that are you know, certain states are going to charge for the executor um, a fee, you know, that's a percentage of the estate asset. Um, certain states are going to be more expensive to get into court or more, um, more time consuming, more delays. Um, so there's, yeah, so definitely depending on where you're at in the country, um, the different statutes, the different processes are going to be uh, going to affect that administration and, and the um, kind of the uh, the problems you might run into. Uh, that being said, you know, a revocable trust is is in the proper funding of a revocable trust is often going to avoid those issues, <clears throat> um, regardless of where you're at in the United States. Thank you. 
let's go to estate planning. So wills and trusts are part of estate planning, but only a part of it. Um, what else do what else what else does estate planning, you know, the umbrella term mean, uh, mm-hmm. and what are the different parts of it? Yeah. So one of the other um, common uh, common tools of estate planning. So will and trust really you can think about uh, uh, those documents dealing with what happens after death. You know where where the estate's going to get distributed and how it's going to go get there. Uh, the other documents that are are really required of of anyone um, over the age of eighteen are powers of attorney, and powers of attorney deal with uh, disability and what happens if you are unable to act during your lifetime. And so you've got two typical types of powers of attorney. You get a medical power of attorney, a healthcare power of attorney that deals with uh, agency for making medical decisions on your behalf if you're not able to do so. And then you've got a a property power of attorney for financial agency and dealing with any financial power that you might otherwise be able to deal with. And what the powers of attorney uh, sidestep is, uh, is the need to go to guardianship court if if you do have a disability. So if if a person is disabled, can't act, and and doesn't have a power of attorney in place, what what a hospital might require, what a financial agency, a bank, a um, a, uh, a custodian might require is, is a guardian to get appointed by the court to get authority to act on on the disabled person's behalf. And if you have a power of attorney in place, that agency is already there. That that person that you've appointed, that you trust, has the agency, has the authority to act on the behalf and, and make sure that the bills get paid in the financial um, case, um, that, uh, that there's authority to make medical decisions um, on, on the uh, principal's behalf. Um, so these are really important documents. They can avoid a lot of heartache. Uh, they can um, avoid a lot of fees. Frankly, guardianship's a very expensive process. There's um, attorneys that have to represent the petitioner that's going to petition the court for guardianship. The uh, principal has to be represented as well, the disabled. Uh, so the court has to appoint an attorney to, to represent um, the disabled. Uh, medical opinions have to be gained. So there's there's all these steps that go into guardianship that make it um, time consuming and expensive, and if uh, if a person can think about who they want to be able to step in their shoes, who they trust to act in a fiduciary capacity for them, uh, prior to the need for guardianship, um, it it it's just a big savings um, for the estate for the person and and tends to make the family situation a whole lot easier. Yeah, I bet you've seen a couple of it or seen or heard of a couple of instances where those things went sideways. And, uh, you know, it's not only the the legal and the cost, it's the the family dynamics, I, I, I have to imagine as well. Yeah, yeah, that that's absolutely right. Um, so and, and it, with all these documents, they what we're trying to do is, is um, draft into these documents, the exact wishes of the principal of, of the party um, whose documents are being set up so that, so that um, all these family dynamics can be thought through um, and dealt with prior to that time. uh, So that you know, so that it's an easier process for everyone. What do I look for in a healthcare power of attorney if I'm trying to deem one Um, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, someone completely, uh, you know, a friend, how do I go about thinking about who I want to uh, make medical decisions for me, including up to and including pulling the plug? How, how do I go about sure. thinking about who, who to designate? Yeah, well, I, I think it's it's important to try to think about um, your closest relations and then, you know, who you trust to be able to make these decisions. I like to tell clients that it's, this is one of the roles that you definitely want to talk to your the person you're designating before before the need arises uh make sure that number one that they're comfortable with um with making these decisions on your behalf uh number two make sure that they understand um 
what those decision, what you'd want those decisions to be, what what it looks like as far as treatments. If is there any treatment that you've seen that you you know you don't want? I've had clients tell me very specific treatments that they they've had other loved ones go through that they know you know that it's not worth it. They don't want. They would never want that for themselves. Um, so, so the conversations with, with those persons are important. I think it's important to have one person acting on your behalf as opposed to co-agents. Um, and, you know, because the problem you run into with co-agents is that they're not always going to agree. And now you might run into the same issue as to whose opinion is going uh, to get more weight. Um, and so you might end up back in court. So I, I, I like and prefer to have one person acting. Um, and some states require one agent to be acting as opposed to having a co-agency situation. Um, so, you know, those are those are really the things I, I think the conversations that have to be had, the things people have to think about um, when designating an agent. And then, you know, this is not a financial role. So a lot of these roles in estate planning are financial roles. Who would best be able to manage the money? Who could make these distributions? Um, this is this is a, a very, uh, I, I guess, more personal type of role because everyone has their own opinions on on what um, what healthcare means and and quality of life um, to them. So um, so it's it's putting that. It, it could be a friend, it could be a family member. I think it's important that the, the person that they're designating also be close or able to be close in proximity, to be able to be at the hospital to make those decisions, just because these are, um, these are decisions that are, I think, more effective to be communicated in person as opposed to uh, any number of ways we can communicate nowadays, video conference or whatever else. So, um, I, I like proximity to to at least be a factor when determining who who to appoint. That's really helpful. Um, what about the financial piece? I think you called it a. Do you say property POA or just POA? Yes. Or yeah. What's uh, the uh, official phrase? I know I'm not getting it right. Yeah, the official phrase is a is a property power of attorney, um, and yeah, so property power of attorney is financial agency, and so. Uh, again, you're appointing a, a person to be able to step in your shoes and, and make fiduciary decisions on your behalf with respect to any financial decision is, is the broad general uh, uh, property power of attorney. Um, a few decision points with the property power of attorney. One is what, when you want that to be effective. Uh, so it could be effective immediately on signing or it could be effective, um, what's known as a springing power of attorney, effective later, and it springs into effect at a certain time. Um, a springing power of attorney tends to be, you said it, you define what that means is, and what that tends to be is effective on disability, and you have a physician's order that says the principal is now disabled, and now now your agent that's named is, is able to have power and to, to act on um, act on the principal's behalf. So when you see springing powers of attorney, that tends to be for non-married persons, um, maybe single individuals. They don't want anyone being able to access their bank account uh, prior to a disability, prior to when they actually need to act. Because uh, what the property power of attorney is, is, is uh, in the, uh, the dark sense is it's the power to steal. Once you have an agent that has this, this, uh, document, they have the right to take that to a bank or take that to a financial institution and access your accounts. Um, so, um, you know, you, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't name an unscrupulous person as, uh, as your agent, but, um, you know, when you run into problems, these are the types of, uh, issues that you see is that, that, uh, that agent has overstepped their bounds and their powers, um, when acting in these roles. Yeah, money money can do strange things sometimes to people. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, all right. So those are the power of attorneys. What's next around the estate planning piece? Yeah. So that that's your basic estate plan. Those those pieces. Okay. Um, when there's there's other documents that uh, are are used often in estate planning, and there's other 
um, avenues of estate planning. So, you know, you could you you could talk about premarital agreements and you know the rights of of spouses and and kind of defining what that means prior to going into a marriage. You could talk about more general asset protection and putting your assets in various buckets so that um, creditors could only attack you know certain pieces of your of your net worth. Um, and and so sometimes asset protection involves setting up. Uh, limited liability companies and uh, uh, making sure that um, that those companies are properly funded and insured and you you've got your various wealth lined up in the, into those companies um, sometimes you're talking about uh, maybe doing some gifting prior to death and and what that looks like so there's gifting trusts um, that could be set up for grandchildren um, or for children where you're, you're starting to fund those trusts, um, with, with, uh, lifetime gifts. So, um, one of the, uh, tax code provisions is that you could give a gift, um, to any person during a, during a year without reducing your lifetime exemption, your, your estate tax exemption. And so in 2023, that, that amount is $17,000 per year per person. So uh, you, you could gift up to that amount without without having to file a, a tax return, a, a gift tax return to report the gift to the government. Um, so sometimes you might see uh, grandparents that want to gift into a trust for their grandchildren. And if they got 10 grandchildren, they could gift 170 grand into this trust and, and still be able to manage those assets for the grandchildren's benefit. Um, those assets are not part of their taxable estate anymore. Um, and, and so um, there's all, all sorts of um, irrevocable trusts that go into estate planning, um, irrevocable life insurance trust, uh, intentionally defective grantor trust, SLATs, spousal lifetime access trust, all these various acronyms. Um, <laughs> right. You lost me on the, on, yeah. the uh, on the one prior to SLATs. What was that one? Yeah. Uh, intentionally defective grantor trusts. Yes, yes. <laughs> I went to like my brain uh, had a picture of a toaster in it, but that's yeah, not it, a toaster. What is that? What is that, a? I don't even think a, I can repeat it again. What is it again? And what is it? Yeah. So that's a that's a um, that's a, a, a irrevocable trust. Uh, so you it's what it is in in the most basic form. It's a trust that you can fund uh, to move assets outside of your estate. It's not no longer part of your estate. But for income tax purposes, it's 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 intentionally defective, meaning it's it all the assets um, are still on your personal tax return for income tax purposes. So it's a way for estate planners to split the estate between what we want to um, what what our goals are for estate plan estate tax purposes, what versus what our goals are for income tax purposes. Thank you very um, much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let me pivot really quickly uh, to uh, something we touched on earlier, but I want to go back to uh, ages. And so if I think about, you know, my kids and, and my situation, if I passed away tomorrow, um, you know, let's pretend I had a hundred thousand dollars that, that one of my kids was going to get, well, I don't want my 19 year old college kid to have a hundred grand. Um um, when I'm thinking about this, uh, you know, again, I've, you know, the age ranges, my kids, late teens, early twenties, uh, obviously the younger, you're not going to give a five-year-old a hundred grand in those situations. How do you set up your estate planning? Now, what are the considerations to be made for, you know, a married person with kids at various stages and ages? Do you see, you know, nothing happens till 30. Is there a POA that kind of helps it, that oversees it? Do you, you know, trickle in a little money every year and then a lump sum? How does all this work typically? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think um, typical married person with children, uh, the typical plan is that at death of the first spouse, uh, the assets are around for the benefit of the survivor spouse. And whether or not the survivor is controlling all those assets is really factual dependent and um, and probably tax dependent as well. Um, so there's you know could be subtrust set up for the survivor depending on what that tax situation looks like. But the basic concept is the survivors uh, most most couples want the survivor to have uh, have the assets have the ability to utilize the assets to support the lifestyle. And then what happens is that after death of both spouses, now now the kids come into play. 
And typically, um, uh, for a younger family, you've got uh, typically one trust that's set up for for all the kids until they kind of get through school age, through college. Um, and so you have a trustee that's assigned to manage that trust. And that trustee could be a professional, could be a corporate trustee, bank or trust company. It could be a trusted advisor, accountant, attorney, um, it, it, financial advisor. It could be um, it could be a, a friend or a family member. A lot of times, it's a family member um, that that knows these these children. Um, and, and so, the trustee is around to make distributions on the children's behalf. Uh, you know, to pay for school, to pay for their their needs. Um, and then, you know, once the kids hit a certain age, and, and like I said, it tends to be beyond college. Now college is paid for or, you know, supported for all the children, um, potentially. And then uh, now they're adults. Now they all have different needs. And now what happens is you, you, in a typical family situation, you're dividing the estate in equal shares for each child. And in uh, those shares... Um, uh, would tend to go into subtrust for a child's benefit rather than outright, um, especially if they're 25 to 35 or 40. Um, you know, it, it tends to be the best situation where rather than just saying, here you go, here's your inheritance, here's, you know, um, a big pot of money, go and do what you want. Um, that's not great for a lot of people. Um just because of the uh, where they're at in life, you know, there could be pressures from friends or from uh, significant others that say, hey, we got all this money, you know, let's go do X, Y, Z. Um, or, or there could be internal pressures, you know, dependency on certain substances or whatever else, you know, uh, life offers is, is challenges. Um, so, you know, it, it I like to recommend to clients that subtrusts are set up, that there is a management of those subtrusts until, until if 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 you've got a great kids and they're you know they're well set up financially and they're making great decisions, I think that's great to to be able to manage their own inheritance at age. I I tend to like age thirty, um, you know, but I've seen clients go all the way to age fifty five with you know um, with prior to managing funds themselves if 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 a beneficiary is ever able to some clients want all always want third party um control and and um trusteeship um and, and you know sometimes that's warranted so that the you know the the pressures the financial pressures and any outside pressures on the beneficiary can be deflected to that person that's managing the money and controlling it I didn't think about um, that. You said 55. So now I'm thinking of, you know, forget school age kids and let's go to, let's say I'm 65, 75, 85. But the, I, I was just assuming, you know, okay, I've got a hundred grand, here you go. But that's mm -hmm. not always the case. It sounds like. It's not always the case. And like I said, it's always factually dependent and it, and every plan is very different in that sense. Um, so some clients do say, Hey, I want my kids to have their inheritance. They're, you know, they're good kids. Their marriages are in good shape. You know, um, I'm not worried about creditors. Uh, and and obviously, one of the biggest creditors that anyone faces with with divorce rates being where they're at is is a is a marriage situation that dissolves. And uh, if you've taken an inheritance, which is a separate asset, um, and you've commingled it and you, you know, it's become marital property. Now that's going to get split up to that, uh, to that ex-spouse. So one of the things that a, a trust can do is, is avoid that situation. It does, it shuffles that, those funds to a separate, uh, trust account. It's, it's going to stay separate property. Um, so, uh, you know, these are all considerations, um, Predator issues, asset protection issues, um, tax issues, uh, as to why you might say, okay, I, I want to keep these assets in trust versus giving an outright gift to someone. Wow. Yeah, my brain is spinning. I mean, all good stuff, but gosh, how many ways to slice this thing? There are a million, sounds like. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I got a um, silly question. Um, 
this goes back to you know watching tv uh do people read wills out loud anymore i mean do is <laughs> everybody gather in a room and have tea and coffee and there are gasps from those in the audience that didn't get what they thought and there are uh you know big wide smiles for those that got more than they thought does that even happen anymore yeah so there's there's no formal so i'm thinking of like the uh, grand budapest hotel or something uh, right. uh, there yeah there tends not to be a formal reading of the will but um you know this this question comes up quite often what what happens you know after after uh someone passes and and how does this all get arranged and so you know the administration process is that a client's going to typically reach out to a professional to an attorney and say okay i've got these documents what do i do um and, and the attorney's going to walk the client through that process but what that looks like and it is really uh, again it, it depends on the family sometimes um a family will come to me and, and they'll have one person that reaches out and says everyone wants to be involved let's you know we're having a family meeting and um and everyone comes and you know whether it's in person video conference whatever everyone's involved at, at least at that meeting and we lay out you know what happens okay here are the assets here's what the plan says here's how long it's going to take here's what needs to get done here's who we need to involve um so that you know that kind of is like like the reading of the will um sometimes it's 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 one of the kids is kind of the ringleader and everyone else just stays in the background and and um and uh that that person is the one that's going to communicate to everyone else uh what what the what the steps are but um from my perspective it's 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 always easiest if the communications can happen early um and often um <laughs> so that uh so that uh, there's you know that the family is um is both involved in the process but also understands exactly what the process is going to entail yeah i was um, going to ask you about that what is your advice i mean you've done this a long time what's your advice around that family dynamic again you know i said earlier money makes people do crazy things um what's the best approach here grandma dies grandpa dies mom dies dad dies what's your advice you've seen a bunch of them what's your advice you just said open and clear communication do it together have one person lead it what have you seen works the best in terms of keeping a family dynamic that is already likely in mourning but also interested to see what's going on with the uh with the assets what's your advice yeah well i guess my first piece of advice would be to to do the planning early, right? And so uh, the times that I see the most problems is when the planning hasn't gotten done or hasn't hasn't been thought through um, in, in the proper manner. So if there's illiquid assets and um, and frankly, they haven't used an estate planning attorney, maybe they had someone else do these documents or they didn't get done at all, they never wanted to think about it, um, that's when there tends to be a power struggle when there uh there's a lot of shuffling estates don't get administered in the mat in the time frame that you know would be expected there I've, I've seen estates drag on for 20 years um <laughs> so um and so definitely you know number one is to to think of try to start thinking about this these aren't easy conversations they're not easy things to think about people tend to put them off um but to certainly to start thinking about them and to to try to do the planning beforehand. Now, if the planning's been done, um, you know, one of the things you you want to think about is okay, who is in the best position to to handle this job? It's 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 a job to be an executor and to be a a trustee. Um, there's there's work to be done. It it's time consuming, um, and you know there's you, you might have to clear the house you might have to sell the house you know you know, sell real property there's um uh tax decisions to be made uh accounts to be gathered um so this is it is real work to do this and and so i like to tell people that you want someone that is um versed in the acumen of you know uh financial planning or um you know just financially savvy um and, and so th that's an important piece of this the other piece is you know uh interfamily relationships 
So I never like to try to, you know, one thing you don't want to do is pit siblings against each other. Um, uh, because that brings, you know, that brings back, uh, uh, all sorts of family, family dynamic issues. Um, so to the extent that you can avoid that, to the extent, if you're naming co-trustees, you want them to be able to work well together. So you have to understand what that family dynamic looks like. Um, so, you know, again, estate planning is, is very factually specific. It's, it's different for, it, it's in one sense, it's, you know, I guess, uh, Tolstoy said, uh, all happy families are, you know, uh, happy in the same way, but, uh, unhappy families are different, uh, in many different ways, you know? So, um, <laughs> that's not a quote, but, uh, <laughs> that's close, <laughs> close. Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm, uh, if I'm thinking about this, um, um, how do I make this easier on my kids? What proactive steps, uh, you know, can I take or someone listening or watching can take to make this easy? Do I, do I print out a big booklet? Do I have a conversation? Do I write down where everything is? Do I make copies and give it to everybody? Do I even tell them what's in the will beforehand? How, how does someone like, you know, thinking about having to help this family dynamic after I'm gone or help this process not drag on 20 years, like your example, how do I make it easier on people? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's it's important to understand and to document um, uh, what you have. Number one, um, so uh, you know, I, it's it. I think you should. Everyone should have an estate planning file somewhere in their house that has you know the the documents themselves, but also um, what's there. You know, it, it, and it may be the case that everyone knows what's there, but it may not be. Um, so the various accounts, it's it's nice to have um, listed out, and that makes it easier from the executor trustee perspective that they're not uh, sending letters all over the place trying to discover assets. Um, there's certainly been cases where we've we've gone all over the place trying to discover what might be out there, um, and, and so that that makes it easier. Um, the other thing that makes it easier is is kind of putting it in the documents, what you want to have happen. So, you know, there's certain assets that you might want to have sold, but there's certain assets that you might want to have managed and continue to be held. And so uh, just an example, one of the things I see that leads to a lot of problems often, if there's not proper planning done, um, is like a family vacation home. Uh, you know, is it is it the case that you want to hold on to it? Okay, that's fine. How is that going to be managed? Where are the funds going to come from to support it? You know, who's going to be in charge of doing it? Um, over and over again, that's an asset that uh, the families argue over. Um, and uh, and frankly, clients have not wanted to um, deal with the problem. Uh, <laughs> so, um, Any other ones know, like that? Any other common ones that you kind of need to be more specific about? Um, well, I guess, yeah. So there are other common problems that I see a lot of are advancements or, or, you know, maybe a child has had some need for, uh, for money in, or, you know, a loan I'll put in quotes, oh, yeah. um, in the past and, um, and how a parent is documenting that in the estate plan or whether it gets documented at all. Um, I gave Timmy a loan for 20 grand so he could uh, buy a car to get to work. And right. now that I'm gone, does that 20 grand come back out of his, his inheritance? Right, exactly. And, the, you know, again, these are problems we can deal with in the documents. But um, but if if the proper planning is not done, it's it doesn't get dealt with and it leads to to arguments, issues, um, hard feelings. Well, um, this has been really, really informative. Um, and I'm sure there are a million questions that I should have asked that I didn't. Uh, is there any one or two? Are there any uh, questions that I didn't ask that I should have around uh, wills, trusts, and estate planning? Hmm. Um, no, I, I think, yeah, I think it's really important to understand the reasons that you are doing the planning and the, and the goals and objectives, like I said earlier. And it's it's really uh, number one, it's it, it down the line. It's going to save money, and it's going to save uh, um, uh, hard feelings, and 
and save your your loved one's time and energy to do this correctly. So I think that's, you know, uh, and, and, um, and, and if you can save money, whether it be tax wise or administratively, um, you know, I think it makes all the sense in the world to, to at least uh, at some point, you don't have to think about it often, but you know, every five to 10 years, you should be thinking about, okay, what, what, what you want to have survive you. Um, and, you know, whether that's, you know, let your own legacy and making sure that your ideas and thoughts are surviving you, which can be built into a plan, whether it's just monetary related, um, you know, uh, everyone's here for a certain amount of time and you want to be sure that that time is, is well spent and meaningful, but you also want to leave, um, if, if, you know, what you can to, to the next generation and be able to continue that, that legacy. Bill, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Make sure to hit the Matt Ferret Show website for links and show notes. Until next time, to your wealth, wisdom, and wellness, I'm Matt Ferret, and thanks for tuning in. The Matt Ferret Show, related content, publications, and MF Media LLC is in no way associated, endorsed, or authorized by any governmental agency, including the Social Security Administration, the Department of Health and Human Services, or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The Matt Ferret Show is in no way associated with, authorized, approved, endorsed, nor in any way affiliated with any company, trademark names, or other marks mentioned or referenced in or on The Matt Ferret Show. Any such mention is for purpose of reference only. Any advice, generalized statistics, or opinions expressed are strictly those of the host and guests of The Matt Ferret Show. Although every effort has been made to ensure the contents of The Matt Ferret Show and related content are correct and complete, laws and regulations change quickly and often. The ideas and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show aren't meant to replace the sage advice of healthcare, insurance, financial planning, accounting, or legal professionals. You are responsible for your financial decisions. It is your sole responsibility to independently evaluate the accuracy, correctness, or completeness of the content, services, and products of, and associated with, The Matt Ferret Show, MF Media LLC, and any related content or publications. The thoughts and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show are those of the host and The Matt Ferret Show guests only, and are not the thoughts and opinions of any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret Show, nor is The Matt Ferret Show made by, on behalf of, or endorsed or approved by any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret Show.